It is Friday, May 27th, and this is People Every Day. Hello out there. It's your host, Janine Rubenstein, here to wrap up what I pray will be the hardest week of news this year and to get us off and into this much-needed long weekend for which I am wishing relaxation and joy to find all of you. That said, today we must begin with some updates on the aftermath of the tragic mass shooting that took place in Uvalde, Texas, just three days ago. First, in a devastating turn of events that had me bawling once again, uh, the husband of Irma Garcia, one of the two teachers killed in the shooting Tuesday, has died of a heart attack. John Martinez, Irma's nephew, told people that Joe Garcia, Irma's high school sweetheart and husband of 24 years, died Thursday. Joe was last seen laying flowers at a memorial for his wife and the 20 others who lost their lives. And his nephew says that he believes his uncle died of a broken heart. The couple had four children together, and and due in large part to her love for children, Irma Garcia had been a teacher at Robb Elementary in Uvalde for 23 years. Martinez said of his aunt, she always had joy in her. She was a light to the world. I just really do want her to be remembered as someone who put her life on the line to the very last moment she sacrificed herself. There is a verified GoFundMe page for the Garcia family and those four kids who have now lost both parents to this senseless act of gun violence. Meghan Markle made a surprise appearance in Uvalde yesterday to honor the victims of Tuesday's tragedy. The Duchess of Sussex, who lives in California with her husband, Prince Harry, and their two young children, was spotted laying white flowers with a purple ribbon at a memorial outside Uvalde County Courthouse. She then knelt down and hung her head at the cross for 10-year-old victim Uziah Garcia. A spokesperson has said Megan took the trip in a personal capacity as a mother to offer her condolences and support in person to a community experiencing unimaginable loss and grief. That just shows that as moms and as Americans, it it doesn't matter who you are, we really are all in this mourning period together. So my advice is to just love on yourself and one another, find ways to support those poor families, and try to think of what you can do to make days like Tuesday less possible. Next up, believe it or not, today is the final day of the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp defamation trial. We take a look at the closing statements and discuss what we've learned over the past six weeks. It's the beginning of the end in the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial today, kicking off with closing arguments. The jury will have to sift through six weeks of testimony and decide whether Amber Heard did or did not defame her ex-husband Johnny Depp. It's been a long and riveting trial, to say the least. So to help us get an idea of what the jury may be thinking now that everything that could and maybe shouldn't have been said was said is People Managing Editor Charlotte Triggs. Hey, Charlotte. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Janine. Oh, thank you so much. Both teams of attorneys came into the courtroom today ready for war, right? Depp's team had the harder job of proving that Heard really defamed their client in her 2018 Washington Post op-ed. So, Charlotte, how do you feel Depp's team did with their final arguments? And do you think Heard's team did well defending her? So every time I hear Camille Vasquez, Johnny Depp's attorney, talking, she is just savage. Like, she goes right for it. She makes very compelling 
arguments, right? But by its very nature, this type of court case, you know, one person has their argument and the opposite side has their argument. So Johnny's side, they are alleging that not only did she just completely make up some this abuse, but that she tipped off the paparazzi and that she abused him and that that's the real hidden thing here. However, when Amber's side gets up there and starts talking, they have what I believe is also a very compelling case that he was out of his mind on drugs and alcohol. They've got ample documentation to prove that and demonstrate that. That's not ever something that Depside really gets into. And they have all of this documentation of him doing things that whether or not it's him actually hitting her, it's abusive relationship behavior. And the real question becomes like, what exactly does he have to prove to prove defamation? It's that her article in the Washington Post was not true. So there's a lot of like dust being kicked up here that I don't think really has any bearing on whether or not he's going to win the case. In order to win this case, he doesn't actually need to prove that she hit him and she doesn't actually need to defend and try to say that she didn't because that wasn't in the article. That actually has no bearing on this defamation claim. All it stands to do is to paint her as someone who is not generally telling the truth. And so that's how we get to this place where it's just ugliness widespread across both sides. Mm, My goodness. Well, Depp's team really wanted to make it clear to the jury that Amber Heard was not a victim of abuse. And they did so in an interesting way. I didn't think they would go here, but Depp's attorney, Benjamin Chu, invoked Me Too, saying the movement is for, quote, true survivors of abuse, not misheard. True victims need protections and true perpetrators need to face repercussions. So what did you think of the sentiment that Amber Heard is not a victim of domestic abuse in the sense of the Me Too movement that we find ourselves in? I feel like on his side, they're just kind of picking up a bunch of like keywords to like hit their audience in a certain way because Me Too is so much broader than just domestic violence. It has to do with the whole like casting couch culture where women have to do certain things in order to get jobs and sexual harassment and things that are not necessarily violence. I think that's a bit of a red herring and it's a code word that's going to appeal to certain like men's rights people um, out there. And, but what I think is interesting here is that some of the stuff that was shown, some of the documentation that Amber has, even if he's not hitting her, the behavior is indicative towards it having been at the bare minimum, a toxic relationship slash a relationship where one might not have felt safe. I think they pretty much can both make that claim against one another that like they were violent towards one another and probably each at times didn't feel safe. So I'm not sure that he is really demonstrating that there was no abusive relationship here. I think that there is evidence that there was an abusive relationship here. I really do. I think that there's ample evidence that bad things happened and that for much of it, he was on drugs and might not remember, but that she also did bad things. Now, the big bottom line here is that in the course of litigating this, a lot of terrible stuff has come to light showing that she did very bad things herself, that she hit him, that she threw things at him, that she said emotionally abusive things to him. The real question is who's lying and who's telling the truth? Like, I just don't think that any of us know that. At all. Well, I mean, Depp's lawyer in his closing statements, it's about freeing him from the prison in which he has lived for the past six years. It's six years 
to the day and just in kind of invoking the timing and what he's been through. Herd's team said he will do everything he can to destroy your life, to destroy your career. Like just huge, powerful, like this is it moments. But after all of the testimony and evidence and and these closing arguments, you're right. Like we don't know for sure. And it just sounds like an all in all bad situation. So you're you're on the jury, Charlotte. I'm putting you there. What do you do? What do you do with all this? Well, it's sort of like what her side said. It's even if you think that they both abused each other and that they're both bad people, she wins because this is a defamation case that was trying to determine whether she lied about him having been abusive. So if we net out where we feel that they both were in this toxic relationship and, you know, mistreating one another and being violent with one another, that's not him proving defamation. He doesn't win. What he has won back is the support of his fans. And lastly, you know, we, we've been talking about this court of public opinion and how who wins and loses there. And it seems like a clear winner with, with Johnny Depp and loser with Amber Heard. But I'm wondering for you, do you go to a Pirates of the Caribbean movie featuring Johnny Depp next year or two years from now? Do you go to Aquaman 3 with Amber Heard two, three years from now? What do you think? I think that there is a future for him. And I think that the point of this trial was for him to be able to air the stuff, being like, sure, I might have been on drugs, but I didn't do this. And she also, by the way, hit me and did bad things. I think that in the course of airing all of this stuff out, he has won back his fan base and, most importantly, demonstrated to studios that he has a huge fan base that almost doesn't want to hear it. Really, the fan base doesn't actually really care <laughs> what's true. They are standing by him no matter what. And the stuff that people are putting up there are almost setting logic and reason aside in favor of just pure Johnny devotion. Fandom. Yeah. Totally. And that, I think, sends a major, major signal to these studios that this is a guy who has serious box office power. And as we know, money really is at the root of everything. Even if he were to lose that $50 million, he is going to get it in, in whatever new project he signs on for that he's now up for. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much. Thanks, Janine. Academy Award winner Jeff Bridges is opening up about surviving both cancer and COVID, which he fought at the same time during a five-month stay at the hospital last year. Later, we go over the details of the actor's harrowing ordeal. But first, after 19 years, Ellen DeGeneres' daytime talk show, Ellen, aired its final episode yesterday. We recap the show's touching and star-studded finale, next. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Well, 
that is it, you guys. After almost 20 years of dancing, games, and viral celebrity interviews, Ellen DeGeneres' eponymous daytime talk show aired its final episode yesterday. DeGeneres announced back in April of 2021 that she'd be ending the long-running talk show, calling the gig the greatest privilege of my life. This news came after a pretty big scandal revolving around claims that the show was a, quote, toxic work environment for numerous staffers. So Ellen had a full week of send-offs starting on Tuesday when she welcomed Oprah Winfrey, who shared a thing or two about what it's like to end a successful, long-running show. I got a little emotional backstage because I saw your entire staff is back there. And I said to everybody, I know what this feels like with only a couple of days left. For yesterday's finale, Ellen welcomed back her first ever guest, Jennifer Aniston. I love me some Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) And the two reminisced about the early days of the show. You know, you've been on 20 times. You were my first guest. And and it was a big deal to get you. It was a huge deal to get, you know, you on my first show. 20 times and you've been on the air 19. You're busy. You do a lot of movies. Wait, I've done your show more than you've actually been on the air. Yeah, so... So one time more than once a year. That's, you're welcome. (laughs) Also appearing on the finale was pop icon Billie Eilish, who made her first daytime talk show appearance ever with Ellen at the age of 16 back in 2018, as well as a performance by Pink, who wrote the show's theme song. Finally, Ellen gave a tearful goodbye, thanking the audience and the crew for a nearly two-decade run. (sighs) To all of you who have watched this show and supported me, Thank you so much for this platform. And I hope that what I've been able to do in the last 19 years has made you happy and that I was able to take a little bit of pain away from a bad day or anything you're going through. And I hope I've been able to inspire you to make other people happy and to do good in the world. In terms of what's next for the comedian, DeGeneres' wife, Portia de Rossi, shared her two cents during her own appearance on the May 3rd episode of the show. She said, I just want you to do something that makes you really happy and that I want to make sure that you continue being a teacher because that's really what you've been for everybody. Wow, truly the end of an era. Thanks for all the dance moves, Ellen. Actor Jeff Bridges is known for movie masterpieces such as The Big Lebowski, Hell or High Water, True Grit, and Crazy Heart, which he won an Oscar for in 2009. What fans may not know is his story of survival. In 2020, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he nearly died of COVID. I got a letter saying you've been exposed to COVID. And the COVID made my cancer look like nothing, man. For this week's issue out on newsstands, now Bridges is our cover star. And he opens up like never before about having the disease, getting COVID, and how he is treasuring life. Now, you know, more than ever. And here with me now is People's senior editor, Mia McNeese, who sat down face-to-face with the star to talk about all of it. Hey, Mia. Welcome back to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, congratulations on this week's cover and and sitting down with Jeff Bridges. He is truly incredible, and his body of work is so dynamic. Take me behind the scenes of this interview. What was he like on set? Jeff Bridges was just so cool. I mean, he is like the dude that you see on the TV. Cool, calm, and just really warm, happy to be there, Um, loves his job, loves what he's doing. 
We did the the interview and the shoot on this gorgeous ranch in Santa Barbara. And he was just taking in the fresh air, looking at the ocean, and just a lot, a lot of fun to be around. I know he's been through so much this past year and a half. The 72-year-old actor talked about the moment in the fall of 2020 that changed his life after he noticed a growth in his stomach, which turned out to be a tumor. He was later diagnosed with small lymphocytic lymphoma, right? Yes. His wife, Susan, who he's been married to for 45 years, was by his side when he received the diagnosis. And she tells me they both kind of went numb. And then they just immediately went through the steps of doing what needed to be done so that he could get better. So just when it seemed like the tide was turning with his cancer battle, he got another health scare, this time COVID. So both he and Susan tested positive. How did his chemo treatments affect his positive COVID status or or vice versa? He received a letter saying that he may have been exposed to COVID at the treatment center. And then a few days later, actually him and Susan fell ill at their home and shared an ambulance to the hospital. They were both then diagnosed with COVID. This was before the vaccine was available. But for Jeff, it really was when the nightmare began. And he told me that's what chemo does. It strips you of all your immune system. I had nothing to fight it. And he said that COVID made cancer look like nothing. You know, he then goes on to say that I was pretty close to dying. The doctors kept telling me, Jeff, you've got to fight. You're not fighting. Uh, I was in surrender mode. I was ready to go. I was dancing with my mortality. Oh, my goodness. Well, his wife wasn't even sure if he'd recover, right? But fortunately, after all of that, his health began to improve when he received a convalescent plasma, this therapy that uses blood from people who've recovered from an illness to help others recover. And he started walking and breathing better and and even went back home to L.A. and got a chance to do something really, really special that they were worried he wouldn't be able to do. As soon as he kind of started getting his health back, he started setting small goals. But then he got up enough courage to really set the biggest goal yet, which was walking his daughter Haley down the aisle at her wedding, which took place in the summer of 2021. And he was thrilled to be able to not only walk her down the aisle, but he said he even got to dance a little bit at the wedding. Oh, that's so beautiful. What did he have to say about the health scares and how that just changed his life and his outlook on everything going forward? What he said to me was really just appreciate it all, appreciate it. Life is a gift. I think his exact quote was, you know, love is the deal. That's really what it comes down to. Wow. Such an incredible story. Thanks, Mia. Thank you. It really heightened my appreciation of life in a way that I hadn't experienced before. You know, who would think, yeah, I'd love some cancer and give me a little dose of COVID. I'd love love to experience that. Yeah, who would ask for something like that? But I gotta say, my ability to receive all the love that's there to receive and to give it was just heightened. I mean, everything was just turned up in the most beautiful way. All right, guys, finally, it's Memorial Day weekend. And for many of us, that means one thing, cookouts. Whether you're grilling with the family or hosting a barbecue for the neighborhood, we want to make sure you have everything you need to be the host with the most this holiday. So to send us off well-equipped, we asked People's Food Editor, Anna Calderon, to give us the best tips for a barbecue staple, the hamburger. This recipe is surely something to make you salivate. Happy Memorial Day weekend, People Everyday listeners. 
This weekend is not only the start of summer, but Saturday also happens to be National Hamburger Day. So why not kick off your summer cookouts by upgrading your classic burger? This recipe for marinated Worcestershire onions comes from Chef Dale Talde and is such an easy way to get so much flavor between two buns. Start by preheating your grill to medium-high or high and oil the grates. Then slice one large white onion into thick rounds. Lightly brush those onion slices with oil and sprinkle with a quarter teaspoon salt and an eighth teaspoon pepper. Place the onion rounds on your hot grill and grill to lightly char them and form those beautiful grill marks, about four minutes per side. Remove them from the grill and place them in a medium bowl. Then add a quarter cup of Worcestershire sauce and one tablespoon of minced fresh thyme or whatever fresh herbs you have in the house. Then give that all a nice toss. Cover the bowl with plastic wrap and let it all marinate for at least 10 minutes or longer if you're prepping ahead. Then when you're ready to assemble your burgers, also with cheese or bacon or whatever else you like on your burger, pop the onions on top and you have what Dale calls a complete savor bomb. And I totally agree. Get this full recipe and more Memorial Day ideas at people.com slash food. Okay, did anyone else just suddenly get really hungry? I need to get to a cookout like now. But first, I want to wish everyone listening a very happy and safe Memorial Day weekend. Don't forget to thank the service members in your life and to just find some time to be happy. We are off Monday, but we'll be back Tuesday with a show you won't want to miss. I catch up with America's Got Talent funny man, Howie Mandel. That and more to come next week on People Every Day. People Every Day is produced by Chrissy Lindquist, Tony Mantia, Madison Lesby, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, and the great team at Pod People. Edited by Morgan Foos and Carter Wogan. People's producers are me, Janine Rubenstein, and Charlotte Triggs, with help from Elisa Sessler and Fallon Harge. Executive produced by David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. <laughs>